Thank you, Lord. Okay. All right, so I hope you're ready for some spring cleaning. Uh, <laughs> I hope we're ready for that because um, I love that Jesus, he's gone before us and he knew exactly what he wanted to do this morning before we even came here. And, uh, and Holy Spirit has been authoring and orchestrating every word and every note that's been played and every rhythm and every song. And, uh, and what you're experiencing and what you're feeling this morning is the beauty of the presence of Jesus that brings the life of Jesus uh, in, in a real, tangible encounter to you and brings the transforming power of the gospel that makes you a new person. And every time you come before Jesus, that's what you experience, the newness, the new creation that He's called you to be. And so um, I, I, I was just praying for this morning. I just felt the Lord uh, asked me to preach the gospel, just the gospel. And so, I, man, I love this. It's like my favorite thing. Um, and so we're going to preach the gospel, and uh, it's the gospel that changes us and transforms us, and it's the gospel that enables us to access His presence, to live in His abiding presence, and to live in the power of His kingdom. And so the gospel really, I mean, Paul says, I, I chose to know nothing among you other than Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And there's a reason for that, because everything that we are is from this message, from this place, from this reality, from what Jesus has done for us. So I just want to preach that. And I believe that there's going to be some, some healing that, that's already been happening. But I, I felt the Lord say that He was going to go after some specific things. I also felt there was going to be um, deliverance. So I want to start off um, <laughs> exciting. Deliverance. Ooh. Grant's excited at the back. Should we start with you, bro? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Powerhouse. Um, yeah. The bronze mountain over there. Um, <laughs> I love you, bro. Powerhouse. Chef, you always get the brunt of my jokes. Sorry. But the reason why I felt that, um, I had a conversation with another church leader in the week. Actually, my mom and I, and they said something so interesting. They said, uh, well, he said, you know, when you look in the Gospels, when Jesus is casting out demons, it's not always just unbelievers. And I thought, ooh. There was actually people sitting in the synagogues, you know, week after week that were oppressed and actually under demonic uh, influence and strongholds in their life, and wondering why they just can't go forward in the things of God, wondering why they're stuck in the same cycles. And I realized that Jesus, in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 3, my dad read it last week, it was so powerful, where he said that he, he called the 12 disciples, they went up onto the hill, and he called them so that they might be with him, that they might be equipped to preach the gospel, and that they might have the authority to cast out demons. And there's a, you know, deliverance became a really scary thing in the church because sometimes weird, crazy things happen. But the reality is this, that when we bring the kingdom of God, when we bring the life of God, the demonic can't stay. It can't remain. And we've got to be careful as the church that we don't get comfortable with things and come up with different wording, different excuses to settle for something that's not true freedom. So... What we were singing about today and what the Lord was ministering to us is actually that when you come into the gospel, you come into perfect freedom and liberty. You come into perfect redemption, where it's not just majority of your life, it's all of your life. And that's the Lord's heart for you. God's heart for you is to be free. Because true freedom is incredible. You can't be who God's called you to be until you're free. That's just the, the reality. You actually can't be who God's called you to be until you're free. And so there's so many things in our lives that sometimes we settle for less. We allow ourselves to justify or come up with excuses 
as to why we're not seeing the full reality of the gospel in certain areas of our lives. And then we use psychology and psychological terms or labels to justify that reality. When actually, the gospel, when it's preached in fullness and when it's received in faith, will change every part of your life. So when I say this, I can feel people get uncomfortable. Awesome. That's where deliverance starts. No. But the reason why you get uncomfortable is because you know you were born for freedom. And, and uncomfortable, that feeling of, of discomfort is because you recognize areas where that hasn't become a reality in your life. And today, I really feel Jesus is inviting you to respond. And I'm not, I'm not specifically just going after demons. I'm just talking about transformation in every part of our lives. So we're going to preach the gospel. So let's take your Bible out. I hope you have it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. My dad's favorite. I'm still waiting for the book. It'll be probably the most life-changing book you've ever read. I don't think I've met anyone on the planet who has a revelation of the beginning um, of Genesis like my dad. It's really a privilege. So I'm not going to unpack it like, like he does in that, but what I am going to do is just use this to set the foundation of what I want to share, okay? So I'm just going to read. Um, I hope most of you know the story because I'm not going to go through the story. I'm just going to take out a few scriptures. So Genesis, sorry, chapter 2, verse 21. We'll start there. So this is where the Lord is about to create Eve. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, fashioned, and formed into a woman. And he brought her and presented her to the man. Then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Jump uh, to, okay, let's go, chapter 3, um, verse 8. So now Adam and Eve, the Lord's spoken to them about not eating of the tree, and now they're about to, to make a mistake. Uh, they do make a mistake. They eat of the fruit, and then this is what happens. Verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool afternoon breeze of the day. So the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then we know, typical man, blame the woman, and we know how the story goes. Just want to take these two scriptures and highlight something. God creates man and woman in the garden in an environment of intimacy, in an environment of presence, in a place where he wants to walk with them every single day. And God knew when he, when he made them and, and created the garden and put them in the garden that that wasn't the end design or the final plan. It was an introduction to the heart of God. Okay, So God is walking externally with man. The moment he breathed air and, and, and breath into Adam, God had initiated the master plan of the Father, which is Jesus Christ. From the moment he breathed life into Adam, Jesus was already, the, the plan was put into place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So it wasn't a shock to God that they were going to sin. It was expected, anticipated. It's actually all part of the plan. And so Adam and Eve, they, they, they sin and they hide themselves from God. And it's amazing. It just, you, you, you know this. But it's funny that shame, guilt, shame, and condemnation, the strategy of the enemy is to get you to think that you need to hide from the very thing that liberates you. That you need to hide from the Father who created you, understanding exactly what would happen and had a plan in place anyway. 
If he had the plan in place before, he really wasn't shocked or intimidated by the fact that you were going to make a mistake. You weren't created to, to not make mistakes and just be this perfect. You were created for intimacy, and through intimacy, God would give you divine power and strength to be what he called you to be. You were never called to be something that you couldn't be in and of yourself. You were called to embody Christ. So he, his design was sons and daughters that would live in relationship and dependence on him all the time for everything that they need. And so right at the beginning, God puts the two trees, and it's a choice between the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the tree of life, or man's attempt at self-sufficiency. And we chose self-sufficiency, and day after day, we still choose it, time after time. And we have to learn that actually to choose the tree of life is not to choose our own attempt at Christ-likeness. It's to choose the manifestation of God's Christ. Watchman E says this. He says, God's not looking for your Christ-likeness. He's looking for the manifestation of Jesus Christ. This is so important that we understand this from the beginning, that God's not looking for your attempt at Christ-likeness because you just can't do it. So just take a deep breath. Let that one fall off of you. Thank the Lord that you can't do it. And, and thank the Lord that it was never His design or plan for you to try and achieve that. What He wanted was to take your life as a son or as a daughter, as a yielded vessel, someone in surrender and in faith, and to manifest Jesus Christ in you and through you. And He so designed us as sons and daughters in different, different, different unique ways. I'm also just I'm speaking in tongues and prophesying there. Anyone got the, the interpretation? He designs us so uniquely, so different, that the life of Jesus would be expressed through you with the same marks of His life on the earth, but it would be done in a way that nobody else could express Him. And so there's this beautiful uniqueness of all of us carrying the life of Jesus and living our lives as a fragrance unto the Lord. And so Jesus is being known and manifest through the sons and daughters of God. And as we come together, we form His bride. So we see this in the garden already with Adam, that God creates Eve for Adam, and he creates her out of Adam's side, right? So there's equality. Let's not even go down that road. Creates Eve out of Adam's side so that they could be one together, that they could taste and experience the kind of intimacy and oneness that God wants with man. So he creates this prototype as an experience for man to go, wow. This is how the way that I feel about Eve is the way that God feels about me. The way that Eve is so in love with Adam and, and wanting to serve and, 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 and support. And then not only that, but this divine partnership of man and woman coming together, different strengths, different roles. It's, it's the, the bridegroom and the bride working together. And, and Adam and Eve get a taste of God's heart and his dream. We have to just see that from the beginning, that already between man and woman, God's beginning to reveal this supernatural divine partnership of intimacy, romance, and oneness. And we have to see right there that Jesus, the master plan of Jesus, fits into this little glimpse, this little taste of what God was introducing man to. And chooses to say, no, no, just tell us what you want of us, and we'll do it. And it's pride and it's arrogance, and every time it's choosing an attempt at self-sufficiency. Wait, hold on, God. What do we need to do in order to have a relationship with you? Just tell us, and we'll meet the mark, and we'll do it, and then we can have what you said we could have. 
And you see it time and time and time again. We, God introduces the law and says, you want to know what holiness is? Here's what holiness is. And I mean, it, it, Moses goes up on the mountain, takes three days to come back, and they've already built an idol. Three days, right? So you can see that man just can't. We were, ne- we were not designed to do this in our own strength. We were not designed for self- an attempt at self-sufficiency. I mean, you, you don't have to read very far in the Word to see that. But I love that there's these little glimpses. One of them is Abraham. And so Abraham's before the law is introduced. But sin has come into the world, and God once again begins to just reveal his heart for man. He comes up to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I love you, I've chosen you, and I've chosen to bless you. You're blessed. What do you think about that? And Abraham goes, you're the one true God, I believe. And God says, righteous. Can you just see that God's heart, God really isn't about any form of separation. He is so after you. He is so after oneness and intimacy with you. He wants you whole. He wants you righteous. So much so that he's just looking for a heart that would understand his heart. And then they begin to walk in it. So Abraham begins to access this covenant of righteousness. Then you see David, and I love David. David is this man who God says has a heart after God's own heart. And I love that uh, he's so honored that Jesus is actually born in his lineage. That in Revelations and in Isaiah uh, 22, 22, it talks about the key of David that's placed on the shoulder of Jesus. Who's the shoulder? Well, we're the body. So God wants to give the key of David to his body. What is the key of David and why was it named after him? What did David pursue that so captured the heart of God that he used his name to actually explain and demonstrate what what God was wanting to unlock in mankind? And this is what it is. It's actually wanting to be intimate with the Father, but understanding that the Father wants to be intimate with me. That's, what, that's the simplicity of David. So he would make a mistake that should disqualify him according to the law. He should have been killed according to the law that he lived under. But his heart was that even, even the moment he made the mistake, Psalm 51, he runs to the Lord. And what's his cry? Lord, do not take your presence from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. Purify me. Wash me. Here's David going, I know your heart is for me. I know that you're in love with me. I know that you want intimacy with me as much as I want it with you. In fact, more so. And so he comes and says, God, make me a God man. Make me the man or the woman that you desired from the very beginning, that you knew you would send your son to create. David, before Jesus has even come, is beginning to access the heart of God. So you see this process, and I mean, I could give you story after story, but glimpses of just in the midst of man's attempt at self-sufficiency, God is continually revealing to mankind, do you see my heart for you? And then, and then when man chose to stay in self-sufficiency and, and, and wanted to live under the law, God demonstrated what happens there, and that's when we see the wrath of God. Now, the wrath of God is not something that we're afraid of when you understand that He's a father. See, the wrath of God expressed in the, in the Old Covenant is God revealing what happens when man operates outside of their original design. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You were created to be sons and daughters. When you live like orphans, you come into an aspect of the nature of God that wasn't created for you. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Preacher Connor, you are on fire. Let's go to to John. (laughs) John chapter 19. All right, so, so we... We see that there's this journey, this uh, amazing journey where God is revealing His heart to man. 
And then the moment of moments, the hero, our King Jesus, who just, by the way, if you read Isaiah 53, what really messes me up, read Revelations 1, the description of Jesus, then go and read Isaiah 53, how he chose to be described and what he chose to look like when he came on the earth. That there was nothing great about him, nothing attractive, nothing beautiful. You, would, you, would, you wouldn't notice him. You'd look past him. And Jesus, this beautiful Jesus of Revelations 1, chooses to come into the world like an everyday, ordinary man and to live a life on the earth that we couldn't live, to model it, to be the prototype of the very new breed that God had predestined before the foundations of the world. Jesus embodies it on the earth, just like you and me. And everything he does, he chooses to do as a man. And he gets to this point where he has to make the one and only sacrifice that will ever work to bring us, lost sons and daughters, home to the presence of God that will never leave us, never forsake us, and the power of His Spirit that will enable us to be who He's called us to be. And it comes down to one moment, this divine moment in history where Jesus is going to give His life and is going to pay the substitutionary death. Because, we, I mean, I, I can't go into that for time's sake, but it required a death based on the law. It required a death. That's why they would sacrifice lambs and, and goats and doves and all these different things. It required somebody to stand in your place, take what you chose, self-sufficiency, take it upon himself, crucify it, and then bring mankind into a covenant where the life of Jesus could be received by every single person simply by choosing to say yes to him. It's, it's wild. Honestly, the gospel... It makes no sense, and that's why it's so beautiful, is you will spend all of eternity trying to understand why Jesus did what he did. That he is so in love with man that he would go through this moment, this description, where he is beaten and whipped and bruised, and where he's crucified, one of the worst uh, types of deaths you can have. And, and Isaiah says that he's marred beyond description, that you wouldn't even recognize him. Not just because he got whipped so bad, but because he chose to carry anything that would separate man from God of all time, from Adam all the way through to the very last breath of the last man on earth before Jesus comes. He chose to take every obstacle, every sin, anything that could ever stand in the way of relationship and perfection in the Father. He took it upon himself. Every mistake you've ever made, are making, or ever will make, he took it upon himself. Every thought of depression, anxiety, or suicide, he took it upon himself. Every moment that you watched pornography or had sexual thoughts or lust or problems, he took it upon himself. Everything that you could ever do wrong, he took it upon himself and crucified it in a moment. And so not, he was marred beyond description, not just because he was beaten real bad. A lot of people were beaten real bad. But he took on, the se think of it this way, he took on separation from God as a whole. Anything that could separate you, he took it. And that's why there's a moment where for the first time in eternity, Jesus looks to the Father and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time ever, Jesus is feeling what it, what it is to be separate from God. What it is for God to have to turn his back on his son. The reality that man chose, man chose separation from God, thinking we could do it in ourselves. And Jesus, for the first time, who didn't deserve it, who never chose 
separation from God. He did it on our behalf. He comes in and he tastes the reality of being separate from the life of God. And he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he does it in a moment because that is the last time that God will ever forsake man. Ah. Do you understand what I'm saying? That there is nothing. You can be in the darkest moment of your life. And as long as you have faith in Jesus, you are not separate from the Father. See, here's the thing. The Father does not just choose to hear of your sin. He's in the moment. He's present in the midst of it. It's in the middle of your deepest, darkest, most sinful moment that the Father is inviting you to come to Him. See, He's not, he's not just hearing of it, sitting there and just waiting. For you to finally realize that you made a mistake. And when are you going to rectify your behavior? When are you going to get it? That you're not supposed to do that. That's not the Father. But the thing is, for some reason, and, and there's many reasons, but we, we have, we've got this picture of the heart of God. And it revolves around sin. When, when I read my Bible, I don't see the heart of God revolving around sin. I see the heart of God revolving around intimacy with His children. Even after man sinned, He's still constantly reaching into time saying, Do you see my heart for you? I said, blessed. I said, you're mine. I said, you're chosen. Abraham says, I believe. He says, you're righteous. God is crying out. He's crying out for intimacy with sons and daughters all throughout time. And Jesus, the God-man, breaks into time and makes available to you and me what we could never have in and of ourselves. Whoa. So, <laughs> so here's Jesus. He's been whipped bad. He's been kicked and spat on and mocked and ridiculed. The most perfect man who ever lived, who has not done a single thing wrong. Not one single thing. And he's getting everything that you deserve. And they stand him, in fact, they stand him up next to a murderer. Somebody who's twisted and sick and messed up and deserves death. Connor Lawler. And they present these two people and they say, who do you want? We can release one. Who do you want? The most perfect man who ever lived, who's healing the sick, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, calling you loved when you're a prostitute, touching lepers. This man, though kill him, will take Connor. And Jesus is silent in this whole thing because he's aware of the moment that he's in. He knows what he's there to embody, and he lays his life down for his friends. Now we see that he, he gets taken and he's, he's nailed on the cross. And I just want to read from, um, from verse 29, John 19, verse 29. I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, A jar full of sour wine was placed there, and so they put a, a sponge soaked in the sour wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. Sour wine for a dying, thirsty man. The reason why he takes the sour wine is the bitterness, the sourness, the, the, the sourness and bitterness of our messed up lives. Jesus tastes for the last time for mankind so that you could have the new wine of His Spirit. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. Oh, this is my Jesus. And he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up his spirit. So I looked up the word, it is finished. 
and it's a Hebrew word that Jesus spoke. And I don't know why, when I heard it in Hebrew, it grabbed me like I've never had before. The word is kalah. And Jesus says, kalah. Do you know what the word kalah means? Kalah means fulfilled, but it's used in relation to a bride. In other words, the bridegroom would say to his bride, when she was dressed up and standing before him, he would say, kalah, meaning complete, fulfilled, perfect. Jesus, hanging on the cross, takes the sour wine of our sin and the bitterness of our lives and tastes it for the last time as a necessity for man. That from here on out, anyone who comes into Jesus never has to taste the bitterness of their sin. And he says, Kalah, it is finished, my bride. You are perfect. You are whole. You are complete in me. Then it gets better. He says this and he chooses to give up his spirit. And he gives it up. And he, he gives his uh, life for his friends and dies. Then... Um, they, they choose to, to go and break their legs to, to quicken the deaths. But they get to Jesus, and he's dead already. And so listen to this, uh, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came flowing out of his side. And, and he, John, the guy who's writing this, who has seen it and has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth so that you who read this may believe. So he's saying to you, I'm, I'm the eyewitness. I'm telling you what I saw. He pierced Jesus in the side in the very same location that God took a rib to create woman. He gets pierced and blood and water comes pouring out. And what he does is, when, when, think about this, when a child is born, blood and water come out. He gives birth to his bride. He gives birth to what you were designed and orchestrated to be from the beginning of time. When God created Adam, the moment that Jesus' side would be pierced and blood and water would come out as a declaration of who his bride would be, it happens because the heart of God from the beginning of time was that his bride that would reign with him for eternity would be a bride covered in the blood of Jesus and living by the living waters of his spirit. That you are called to be covered, drenched, filled, protected, made whole by the blood of Jesus. That perfection is yours because of his life. But not only that, you can drink and be filled and overflow with the living waters of His Spirit that enables you to never again be dry, to never again be thirsty, to never again be separated. Not only that, you don't have to just call yourself son and daughter. You can live like a son and daughter because of the blood and the water that flowed from the side of Jesus, where He said, I want to make you equal, co-heirs, come into the Trinity, come into the kingdom, come into oneness with God, where you can be with me, where you can be intimate with me, where you can hear my voice for yourself, where you don't just have to wait for an external voice through a prophet, but my spirit will speak in you and through you, and I will come upon you with anointing and power and use you to change the world around you, that my kingdom is going to be a kingdom of hearts, that my bride is going to be the most beautiful, holy, perfect, blameless bride, not because she's figured life out, but because she's learned the master plan and the design of the Father. 
Whoa. And so Jesus speaks of you, Kalah. It is finished, my bride. See, here's the thing. What does that mean for your life? We have settled for a life that is below what Jesus paid for, that is not up to the standard in which or the price that he paid. So, so here's my question to you. Jesus goes through everything that he goes through, and he knew he would from the beginning of time. The master plan of the Father is to create Christ in you through the Holy Spirit. He does that. He says, it is finished, Kalah, my bride, perfect, whole, blameless, fulfilled. And he, he actually invites us into the reality of life in his spirit, which is a life of blood and water. It's a life that is constantly saturated and covered by the blood of Jesus, and one that is constantly filled and satisfied by the living waters of his spirit. When that happens... You experience a continual flow from the side of Jesus of the transforming power of his blood, which never leaves you the same. You can never stay the same from day to day. And the renewal and the, the um, refreshing of the Holy Spirit in your life, always keeping you full, always, always filling you with something to give, always filling you with rivers of living water that flow from within you. So Christians... Followers of Jesus, disciples, are called to be the embodiment of the divine God-man, Jesus Christ. We were never called to go on a journey of trying to figure out how we could best adapt our lives to look a little bit more like Jesus. Because that's not the bride that he paid for. The bride that he paid for is one who understands God's heart, knows how to surrender and simply say yes in faith, and receive what was flowing out of the side of Jesus, everything that he paid for, so that we could walk by faith in the reality of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And when we do that, there's a couple things that become normal to us. The first one is intimacy and encounters with God. That hearing God is not difficult when you're the bride of Christ, because you're designed for it. Living your life for God and in God and forsaking everything else is not difficult when you're the bride of Christ because you know who you are and you have an eternal value for what Jesus has done. Healing, signs, wonders, and miracles, it's not strange or a shock to us. It's an expectation for those who know that they are the bride of Christ, fulfilled and complete, and that we're called to walk in it. Here's the thing. Healing, signs, and wonders are awesome because they're external. And so they're easy to participate in, easy to watch, easy to receive without having to deal with what's happening inside your heart. Now, I'm not making light of them. They are powerful invitations of the kingdom of God to come in. But I felt today that what the Lord wants to do is He's saying, I didn't pay for a bride that looks great on the outside but is rotting on the inside. I didn't pay for a bride that will speak freedom and liberty and even pray for the sick and the oppressed but is actually oppressed in their heart. And I felt first and foremost that God wants to take the shame and the guilt and the condemnation off of the church 
for any experience that you are having internally that is not, and you know it, not the life of Jesus. But because we know it, we would rather hide it than expose it. We would rather keep it hidden because we're actually afraid of not looking like, hey, Christ-likeness, your attempt at Christ-likeness. We're afraid of being looked at as though we don't understand when the reality is all that you are lacking is the revelation of the information you've received. Because transformation in your life isn't going to happen because you received the information. Transformation happens because there's revelation of the information you've received. So the message is preached this morning that God's heart for you is to be whole. That God's heart for you is to, is to walk in His life, to be holy, blameless, and above reproach. That He said, Kala, it is finished. And that there is a life of the kingdom that He's invited you into. And what He's asking for is, to, is for you to allow yourself to be real with where you're at, to say yes to who he says that you are, and to yield your life to the flow of his blood and water. And when you do that, transformation is the fruit of his abiding presence in your life. See, because there's three things that happen in our journey. When the message is preached, we discover that there is access through Jesus to the divine presence. When we begin to meditate and journey and apply the message and believe the message and outwork it every day, then we begin to learn that it's an abiding presence, that it's not in and out and in and out, that we now have divine access through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, it's an abiding presence in us and we can remain in Him. And then as we begin to grow in our faith and live in the abiding presence of God, we begin to learn how to live in His power. And when we learn to live in His power, that's when we begin to bring the kingdom of God as a reality everywhere that we go. Because now you're not coming to church services to feel better about yourself. Now you're coming to church services to celebrate the King of glory who's made you like Him. And you have testimonies to tell your brothers and sisters because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And because you're walking in the kingdom everywhere that you go. And so we come together and we are strengthened by the presence of the Lord and encouraged by the testimonies of the kingdom and brothers and sisters, and equipped by the word of the gospel that's preached, so that we always are hearing truth as a community, and that we're shaped and defined by the message of the kingdom, by the message of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we go out and we change the world. See, church services are never going to change the world, and they weren't designed to. Church gatherings were not actually designed to change the world. You were designed to change the world. Church gatherings were designed to celebrate and minister to the heart of God. And so this morning, there's not a pressure on you to, to, to take something and uh, suddenly overnight it's clicked and you've got this. What I'm doing is I'm preaching the message to you that I pray you will go and alone with Holy Spirit, ask Him to make this real in your heart. Because you'll go from access to abiding. And then when you're in the abiding place of His presence, then you'll begin to learn that faith actually uh, gives you uh, authority to walk in the power of the kingdom. And when you're walking in the power of the kingdom... You won't have a problem with authority, God's authority and leadership, but you'll be a son and daughter walking in freedom, walking in the kingdom and doing what you're called to do, and you'll be seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, transformed lives as the fruit of the kingdom, whether it's in your business, your university, at home with your family, wherever it is, nations, whatever God's called you to do, it's this message that brings the reality of God's heart to lost mankind. I know I'm saying a lot, and I'm saying it quickly, but I, I'm not after my words touching you. I'm trying to release. I'm pulling the clip on the gospel grenade, and I'm trusting that somewhere the fragments of this are just going to pierce your heart, and that actually you'll come away. I, I pray that you're wounded today. 
That's what I do pray. The best kind of wounded, that you're so wounded by this message that you have to go home and sit there and say, Lord, I am cut to the heart. Teach me, great teacher, spirit of truth. Teach me your gospel. Train me in righteousness. Create in me a clean heart. Because from that place, you're going to begin to represent and demonstrate Jesus in ways that you would never be able to do in your own strength. And suddenly you'll be in a room and the Holy Spirit will speak something into your heart and you'll have the faith to obey. And as you obey, you'll see the power of His kingdom explode and you'll see things that you know in and of yourself can never happen. I remember praying for that crippled man in Mozambique and, uh, and he gets healed and you know, the next thing we're running up and down the street. And within five minutes, I'm, I'm watching something and I'm going, there's just no way. Now, I'm the guy who prayed for you. I'm the guy with faith and I'm going, this just can't be happening actually. Like, the guy's got muscles in his legs. He didn't have muscles. He just had bones. Now he's got muscles. When did that happen? How did, he's running. <laughs> and all I did was just listen to the whisper and the Lord said, pick him up. And I picked him up and he's got muscles. Lord, he's got muscles. Lord. Does anyone know what to do? It's the kingdom of heaven and God wants to partner with you. He's calling you bride. So coming back to the, the place of the heart. There's an invitation today. See, here's the thing. Don't expect to walk in power when you haven't learned how to abide in presence. Don't expect to walk in power when you haven't learned to abide in presence, His presence, okay? What I mean by abide is this. Sometimes there's areas of your life that you didn't realize needs to be touched. Sometimes there's areas of your life you didn't know you closed the doors of. And Jesus has made you new, but actually what He wants is for an acknowledgement in your heart to allow Him to occupy that space or to make you aware of the fact that He's there. So, for example... So, deep, hidden sexual sin. Things that nobody wants to talk about, nobody wants to deal with, struggles in our hearts. Moments where you know you step outside of your identity and who God says that you are, and your heart is torn, and you feel the shame, and you feel the guilt, and you feel the condemnation, and you feel like you need to hide. It's in that moment that the Father is present and He wants to reveal to you that He's really not so concerned or shaken by what's just happened. But He's inviting you to come into His life, to abide in His presence. And He's saying, let me show you who you are. And it's in that that transformation happens. And I'm speaking from my own life. That it's, it's when we allow guilt, shame, and condemnation, the lie of hell to tell you that you've missed it and that you need to hide and figure it out and deal with your emotions and get it right and, and get into a better uh, uh, routine of behavior. And then you can come back and you can enter in. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's in the deepest, darkest moment that Christ died for you. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. In that moment, what God wants to do is He wants you to turn your heart's affection towards Him. And He wants to say, Kala, it is finished, my bride. See, that's what changed my life. What changed my life was moment after moment, you make the mistake, and it's, you, oh, Lord, I can't believe I just did this. And you, your love for God is so genuine. You love Him so much that you hate the fact that you've just done it again. 
and then again, and then again. And before long, you, you think, Lord, I'm just done. I'm worthless. I, there's no ways that I can do this. You've done this beautiful, amazing work, and here I am failing you every time. And it was only when I realized, even after hearing a grace message preached year after year after year, it was finally when I had an encounter with him in the midst of my deepest, darkest sin, where he said to me, I love you. Where he looks at me and he says, you're pure, you're holy. And it was in that moment that the Lord taught me that there's two journeys. There's purity kept and there's purity fought for. And I, I know that it's a bit hectic for you now, so I'm writing a book and you can read it in the book. But there's purity kept and there's purity fought for. And I'm talking in terms of sexuality, right? Purity has nothing to do with what you've done. Purity has to do with the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you've had the privilege of being raised in that revelation, then you're on a beautiful journey of learning how to remain in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pure. Has nothing to do with what you've done. Purity fought for is a journey of somebody who has believed the lie that they are not pure because of their action. And that sin... And I'm, I'm talking to believers here, right? Hear me. I'm not talking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I'm talking about believers. You're following Jesus, but you're stuck in the same cycles. He says that purity has nothing to do with the fact that you continue to make mistakes for a little while. The reason why you're continuing to make the mistakes is because you believe that your purity is connected to your actions. But he actually says this. He says, I want to teach you the revelation of who I am. And when you receive that and believe it and begin to see yourself in that revelation then purity fought for means it's a journey of faith that brings you back into the revelation of Jesus Christ where you find purity again. I have fought the battle of psychology. And I, I believe, and I know like I released this over Hannah, I believe that the Lord is looking for godly, spirit-filled psychologists who understand where true freedom is found and who can bring it in the middle of the context of the battle of the mind. Because psychology by nature is the study of fallen man. And so I remember when I went through my junk, went to a top psychologist who essentially, in a nutshell, was teaching me how to walk with a limp. That this has happened to you, and because of that, you're acting this way. And you've got, a, it's like, I remember the psychologist said to me, it's like you've had a limb cut off and you need to learn to live without it. And I was listening to this, and thank God I had some sort of Holy Spirit in me. <laughs> because, you know, just the, the smallest whisper in the background, I heard, something's wrong with this picture. And it was when I began to read the Word, and it, it was when I began to receive the heart of God in the deepest, darkest moments of sin, that I realized he, the Lord isn't speaking that over me. He's not saying, now, Connor, you're never really going to be able to walk in everything that I had planned for you. But at least we'll get something. And so we'll, we'll go on the journey, and uh, we'll just learn how to live without that area. And we'll just close that off. We'll just pretend that never happened. And hopefully, before I come back, you'll be okay and, you know, kind of get back on track. That's not God's heart. Every time you're saying, you're a new creation. Every time I would mess up, he'd say, you're pure, you're holy, I love you. What, what shall we do? I remember times where the Lord would say to me, I'd, I'd mess up, and I'd be so upset. And then when, I, when I'd open my heart to hear the Lord, he, he wasn't talking about that. I'd go, Lord, like, I'm so sorry. What, what are you saying, Lord? I just want to listen to your voice. And he'd say, I really feel like I want to do this in my kingdom. Or I'm excited about the fact that I've called you to reach these people. And have you thought about uh, Mexico? Or have you thought about Turkey? Or have you thought about... And I'm going, 
Lord, hello. <laughs> Wait, I think he got the wrong one. Next door, maybe that guy's on fire for Jesus. I just, no, God's heart for man is that it's my bride. It is finished, pure, okay? So, sorry, I'm getting to my point. The deep hidden sins of our soul, and I'm saying that with the understanding that God is not concerned with your sin in the sense that it doesn't, it doesn't worry him or affect him. Here's what he is concerned with, how your sin affects you. See, this, the actual mistake, you go, you have no idea, Lord. It is so dirty, messed up, perverse, and sick. And God's like, can you stop throwing your junk in my face? Like, I'd really prefer not to have all that. And I'm looking at you. You're perfect. You're, you're holy. And what God's concerned with is how that's affecting the way that you see yourself. See, because it's when you see yourself pure that you act pure. It's when you see yourself holy that holiness becomes a reality in your life. This is what Jesus paid for, by the way. So, the, the, the deep things, the, the, and I'm, I'm hitting the sexual one because I believe it's something that we're just so scared to touch, so scared to go after. Why? Because 90-something percent of people are journeying it. I have been shocked at the amount of people who have journeyed sexual abuse at young ages or some sort of messed up sexual journey from a young age that has caused them to struggle with purity and the area of intimacy with the Lord. See, because intimacy with God and your sexuality, they're actually tied together. I'll tell you why. Because the reason why you have the ability to be intimate with somebody else is to teach you the value of intimacy with the Father. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the shame, the guilt, and the condemnation that's come on this topic, and I, I'm sharing this just so you know, I'm sharing this from somebody who has journeyed this. I'm not, I'm not putting this on you as somebody who doesn't understand. But I'm like, I don't want to avoid this stuff anymore because it's difficult to talk about or because maybe you're actually journeying it right now. The reality is, let's go there because it matters to Jesus, and let's go there because if we don't preach and talk about the truth of who we are, especially in the area of sexuality, and I don't know why I'm going there, but let's just let's, let's hit it. Are you with me? Smile. Jesus loves you. It's all good. I haven't pointed fingers. When we go there and, and Jesus liberates us, you will, see, you get liberated in this area, you get liberated to another level of intimacy with the Lord that you didn't even know was possible because you're beginning to understand your worth. And the more you begin to understand your worth, the more you begin to see yourself in Jesus and you come into that oneness that you didn't know was possible. And more and more, the worthiness of Jesus is growing through encounters. And the worthiness of Jesus is growing and your worth in Him is growing. And so you're just getting closer and closer into oneness together. Does that make sense? So if you're facing that um, right now, if you're journeying one of those things, maybe it's, maybe it's not sexual sin, but maybe it's something else. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's suicidal thoughts, self-hatred, whatever it is. I'm talking the deep things of the soul here, things that you don't want to talk about, don't expose to anybody. And I'm not asking you to expose yourself, nor am I asking you to have to go and process it with somebody. I'm asking you to open up and let the light in. I'm asking you to actually open up the areas of your life and allow the heart of God for you in that area to touch you in the way that He wants to and in the way that He truly can. Let Him look at you in your deepest, darkest moments and say, Kalah. Look into the eyes of love and actually see what he sees when he looks at you. I promise you, you'll never be the same again. See, everybody told me you need to find somebody to talk to and somebody you can share all your junk with and journey with them. Vulnerability. 
I won't go down that road. <laughs> and so they shared this. And the more that I did it, the more I felt exposed, the more I felt guilty, the more I felt ashamed and condemned. Because I'd hear different kind of things from different people about how I should go about this. And, you know, this is, this is the steps and this is the process. When the reality is all I really needed was to look into the fiery eyes of Jesus and hear him say, his voice, say, you are my son. You are holy. You're loved. You're pure. Do you see what I'm seeing? That's all I needed. That's all I needed. And when I saw it time and time again, over the space of a couple of months, things began to change. And I remember it would go months and months and months, and then I would look back and go, wow, Lord, oh, my word, I'm different. Like, you get so lost in Jesus and just who he is, and before you know it, it's been months, and you've changed your behavior completely. You weren't even trying to. You look back, and you go, oh, my goodness, Lord, you've done it. I'm different. And what's amazing is the more you listen to his voice and become familiar with what he speaks over you, the more foreign the voice of the stranger becomes. Then when temptation and, and the demonic and stuff like this comes, you begin to hear it for what it is, the lie that's trying to rob you of the very thing you were born for. Are you with me? I also want to say this. Our sexuality is probably the, the biggest area, probably that and money. Finances and our sexuality are probably the, the two biggest areas where you'll find the most demonic oppression and demonic possession. Where you will find people walking in things that they do not want, do not long for, but they're stuck and they can't get out of it. And then they call it a psychological problem. But it's just a way to justify demonic oppression in your life. Because you see, you, you want to be free. Like you don't want to do those things. And so here's the beauty of Jesus. He calls his disciples and he says that you would be with me, that you'd be equipped to preach the gospel, every one of you. But I don't know if I'm called to preach at the pulpit or lead a church, but you're called to preach the gospel everywhere that you go. And then number three, that you would have authority to cast out demons. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go. Why? Because you're my bride, which means if it's been given to me, it's been given to you. And you carry the same mandate as me. And together, we're going to bring freedom to the world around us. Arise. <laughs> you can stand. <laughs> so I share, the, I share the gospel. And I didn't plan on necessarily going down the route of um, sexuality. But I think the Lord's just going there. Because you know what I feel like he's doing today? He's just breaking the guilt and shame so that you can be free. That you can get free. I promise you it'll shock you. I don't, I don't have it on me, but I've, I've done the research and looked at the statistics just in South Africa alone of people that are suffering in these areas, that are struggling with this. And I just want to say this, that there's no more shame. There's no more guilt. There's no more condemnation. Let that fall off of you today. Come into the life of Jesus. Look into the burning eyes of Jesus and hear what he's speaking over you. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You don't have to settle for anything less than kalah. It is finished, my bride, fulfilled. Ooh. So if you're comfortable, if, if you resonate with anything that I've said today, just lift your hands and let's trust the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Holy Spirit, we just come in such boldness, in such faith and love for you. 
Lord, not ashamed, not hiding. We're not going to hide from you because you didn't create us for that, Lord. You created us to run into your arms. And so we run into your arms today, Lord. And I just release healing, the healing of the gospel, the healing of the price that Jesus paid, the message of the kingdom that brings liberty, freedom, healing, the government of love. And I release that over every person in this room. And I pray, Lord, that where there has been shame, that you would replace it with joy. Where there's been condemnation, that you'd replace it with liberty and freedom. Where there's been guilt, that the love of God would so permeate our beings, Lord, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that we are so loved. And that it's the love of God that leads us to repentance. That it's the love of God that changes us and transforms us. And so, Father, I thank you that there is not any dark place that the light of the gospel does not transform. And so we just open our lives and we say, with the light of the kingdom, the light of the gospel, the love of God, come and transform us in Jesus' name. Lord, in every area of our lives, we just receive the life of Jesus Christ. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you manifest your Christ? Would you manifest you, Jesus, in us? Your life, your nature, your attributes. And this morning, Lord, as a son, just stand in your authority, Jesus. Your authority over my life and your authority over our lives as the church. And I just speak to any demonic strongholds, demonic oppression that's tried to find resting place in any of the believers in this room. And I stand in the authority of the love of God and I speak to those demonic strongholds on the mind, on the soul, on the emotions. And I release the kiss of the Father. And I release the embrace of the Father. And I say, Holy Spirit, would you permeate, penetrate to the deepest places of our souls and our hearts? And would you bring the love of God as a real and tangible touch and expression and encounter today in our lives, that we would know freedom, the man, Jesus, that we would know purity, the man, Jesus. No more guilt, no more shame, no more condemnation. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Receive your freedom in Jesus' name. Receive your freedom in Jesus' name. If you're here today, and you, this, what I've said, has been a war in your heart and in your life for that secret place with God. If there's been a war for purity, if there's been a war in your heart and in your soul for the full manifestation of God's heart in you and through you, I want to call you to respond. I know there's not a lot of space, so you can just do something. If you can get to the front, get to the front. If you can get to the aisle, get to the aisle. But some sort of response. 
So if that's you, I want to call you to, to come forward as a response to Jesus. Posture yourself to receive. If there's anything, anything that's been difficult or a war or a struggle, I even feel there's, there's deep hidden stuff, addictions, struggles. Just respond. There's no guilt. There's no shame. And I, if you can, try and get on, just get onto your knees. I'm going to take time on this one because I, I'm fully aware of what Holy Spirit has said and what He's doing and releasing in the room. I want to encourage you as you come forward that you're running into the arms of a Father who loves you. Let Him touch you. Let Him love you. Let Him hold you. You don't need ministry from man. You need the truth of the Father. So just receive His words over you. I love you, beloved. You are complete. You are whole in me. You are loved. There's still people that I feel that there's a, there's a deep, deep struggle, a deep, deep lie that you've believed. And the Lord's highlighting it and He's liberating you right now. And I'm prepared to wait. See, Holy Spirit's beautiful. He's not going to just force anything on you. He just invites you. And He's just waiting for half of a yes and He comes flooding in. So we thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit. If there's those that have struggled with depression and anxiety, there's freedom for you in Jesus today. There's those that have struggled with suicidal thoughts, there's freedom for you today. Self-hatred, there's freedom for you today. Father, I want to thank you for the blood of Jesus. That we're forgiven, Lord. That we don't have to earn your forgiveness. That we are forgiven. And not only forgiven, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from the, the dirt, the mess, the scars, the wounds, everything. It cleanses us, not just patches us up. It cleanses us and makes us brand new. And I pray this morning for an encounter with the blood of Jesus, just like you did for me. And even this morning, just that refreshing encounter, Lord, of the blood of Jesus on my life. I pray it for every one of us, Lord, that we come into that. Thank you for your blood. Thank you you shed your blood. And Father, I pray that we would encounter the living waters of your Holy Spirit this morning. Waters that refresh. Waters that revive. Waters that heal. I just feel I need to do this today as a prophetic thing. I'm just going to pray on behalf of my brothers and my sisters 
who have struggled with pornography, who have struggled with lust and sexual addiction, I want to say to you, you're so loved. I want to say to you that the Lord spoke to me a while ago, and He said, Connor, addiction is just the corruption of desire. And when He said that to me, I felt freedom because I realized that the desire that I have in me, the reason I was created with desire was to long for the Lord. That I was created with desire to love Him. That I was created with desire to worship Him. That I was created with desire to cry out, to come before Him, to ask for more, to be filled over and over again, that I would never just be fully um, you know, satisfied or, or content, that as satisfied as I was, I would always be hungry for more because He gave me desire. And I felt the Lord say to me, Connor, addiction is just the corruption of desire. Let me redeem your desire. And as I redeem your desire, you'll come into freedom. And so I want to pray for my brothers and sisters and I ask, if, if that's you, if you're journeying that, even right now, I want to ask you to just take this moment. Just forget about everything else. Just take this moment and just get alone in your heart with the Lord right now. Father, I just speak the purity of Jesus over our souls. I speak the purity of Jesus over our eyes. I speak the purity of Jesus over our desire. Lord, those that have journeyed sexual abuse, I speak the healing of the cross. I speak the healing of the cross right now in Jesus' name. I speak the purity of Jesus over those wounds that have been covered and hidden. And I speak a new creation over every one of us. Not upgraded, not slightly better, not dealt with new in Jesus name just as if it never happened just as if you've never sinned you are righteous and Lord on my knees on my knees I confront that spirit of perversion that would attack a spirit of purity I confront it on my knees and I say, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, glorious one, pure one, manifest your name. Manifest your name in our lives, Lord Jesus, that no spirit of perversion would attack the identity and the love that you have placed in your sons and daughters. And I speak against it as a son, Lord. I speak against any Jezebel stupid perversion spirit that would try to rob the children of God from their right to purity in Jesus. And I thank you for victory today. And I thank you for liberty. And I thank you for a freedom that has never been known or experienced. And I thank you, Lord God, that you speak over your children, liberty, freedom, wholeness in Jesus' name. And I speak to every demon, every demonic spirit that would try to hold us back or limit us or silence the voice of truth. I say, be still, be silent, and be gone in Jesus' name. And let the roar of the lion of Judah begin to roar in your life 
And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that healing doesn't have to be this long process that in a moment you can touch a soul and redeem us and bring new life. And so I just thank you for the shalom and the peace of God right now in Jesus' name. The peace of God that's coming on every mind, on every spirit, on every soul. And we just shake that little demon out of its cozy little hide. We shake it in the blood of Jesus. We break every lie spoken, every curse. And we release the blood of Jesus in a spirit of freedom. I speak to women who have been abused. Women who gave themselves to something that they didn't know was there to rob them, was there to steal. I speak to those women and I just say, find beauty in the radiance of Jesus. Find worth in the worthiness of Jesus. Find wholeness in the body of Jesus broken for you. Find purity in the blood of Jesus shed for you. And today I just hear the Lord redeeming redeeming parts of our lives that we've been too ashamed to look at, too ashamed to let Him come in. And lastly, I silence the voice of the accuser. The voice of a religious spirit that would think it has the right to accuse another without realizing and dealing and acknowledging the journey within. And I speak over the bride and I just say, Lord, would you just remove a spirit of accusation, a spirit of judgment, analysis and criticism? Lord, that not, not in your bride, Lord, not in your bride, not in your bride would there be judgment, Lord, but let there be love, Lord. So we silence the voice of the accuser and we make room for the voice of beloved, Jesus Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords, desire of the nations, desire of my heart, rule and reign, kingdom of heaven, come on earth as it is in heaven, here on me first, on earth, on my heart, on my life, on my thoughts Thank you for liberty, Lord. I just thank you. Thank you. On behalf of my own life and my brothers and sisters in this room, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for not just dying, but raising to new life. Thank you for welcoming us, welcoming me into new life, Lord. That even all those terrible things, Lord, that we can look back and see and know how could we have done that, Lord, that in the blood. They're removed as far as east is from the west. That God throws our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. 
that He never again will bring up or remind you of your past. Never again will He use that as leverage in your life. No, the only leverage He needs is Jesus. And when He looks at you, He says, Beloved son, beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. This is who you are. So Father, we just thank you this morning for what you're doing. And I just ask for the blood of Jesus that's in us and touching us, but also around us and covering us, Lord. I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for the protection that we have in the heart of God. So Lord, I just ask that you just come and manifest the love of God in a greater measure. Increase our capacity to love. Increase our capacity to receive. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just let him continue to minister to you, to touch you.